The Observer's Calendar for October 2023 on episode 363 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up the night sky, and this podcast is for everybody who likes going out under the stars. So first, we have a bit of a thank you um, to Jim for his ongoing Patreon support and for sending us some details on the double shadow transit on Jupiter for October 19th slash 20. We'll get to that in a moment. And secondly, we have uh, a couple upcoming solar eclipses, one on October 14th and one on April 8th. Any mm-hmm. uh, comments about those, Shane, before we get into this? Yeah, the 14th, um, I believe, is 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 that just a partial or is that the annular or what? Are, what is that one? Yeah, so on October 14th, there's going to be an annular eclipse. Yeah. We'll talk more about that in this uh, episode later yeah. on. And what that means is that the moon passes in front of the sun. But even for places that experience the moon completely passing in front of the sun, you don't get a total eclipse. It never 100% blocks out the sun. So you always need to be observing with a specialized solar filter. There's no point at which you can uh, look at the sun without a solar filter. So for us, I think we get around like a 60% partial eclipse here. And so we were just chatting about maybe uh, taking a look at that. And then on April 8th of 2024, there's a full solar eclipse on a path that extends from, um, I think it's like Mexico through the States, through uh, South uh, Southern Ontario, and then into the Atlantic uh, provinces of Canada. So uh, lots of opportunity for a lot of people to take a look at that one. Yeah. And the one on the 8th, if you have any interest in seeing that eclipse, the the total eclipse, make sure you're on the path of totality, but probably more important, book your rate, like your accommodations if needed now. Mm-hmm. Um, because anywhere along that path of totality, um, well, if it's not already completely booked, it will be probably very soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the one, the, the total eclipse that happened in 2017, um, we ended up staying about two hours away. Uh, I think it was close to a, a two hour drive to get to the path of totality. Um, and, and you may have to do that, you know, for this one too. So while we're focusing in on the objects here in October, uh, it's worthwhile noting to start planning for that April, uh, event if you have, uh, any desire. Yeah. I, I have relatives near the path. I may go, go to Atlantic Canada and just, just stay with one of them. And then just, I think it's like less than a 40 minute drive to the, uh, Mm to the path and they're kind of off the beaten trail already. So I don't think it's going to be a, a spot that people are going to be traveling to, but just for the simple fact that I could do it on the cheap. That's, that's what, what I might plan to do just to see uh, my cousin who does the show music for us. And oh, uh, yeah. yeah, so he's, he's not too far from that path of totality. So yeah, nice. I might, uh, might go that way, but for, for this one in, uh, in October 14th, uh, of course, uh, since you can't even see a total eclipse, then you have to be observing. It would be cool to see the annular, but uh, probably just stay here. And I ordered some uh, solar safety glasses, and uh, this just came out um, via the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada. So I'm just going to do a plug um, for these if people want to get them, uh, particularly if you're in Canada. This is a pretty good way to order them. Uh, they are pretty inexpensive 
They are now available in packs of one, five, and 10, or like, I think you can even call them and get like a huge bulk order for your club if you want. Um, From the RASC, the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada. And these are glasses that have been sourced um, for their safety. And I've worked with uh, staff in the past and they've done a good job in getting really good ones. The website is secure.rasc.ca slash store. So just secure s-e-c-u-r-e.r-a-s-c.ca slash s-t-o-r-e and their promo says don't miss a single moment of the eclipse keep your eyes on the skies and safeguard your vision with our solar eclipse glasses our eclipse glasses are meticulously crafted with your safety in mind they effectively filter out all harmful ultraviolet and infrared light offering comprehensive eye protection by blocking an impressive 99.99999% of high intensity visible light. So I ordered a pack of five this morning just for my own use. And I know that, uh, that they're, uh, they're absolutely the best uh, solar safety glasses that you can get. They, they went to great lengths to procure the best ones. And the price was, yeah, the price was funny. So the glasses themselves hardly cost anything. I think it was $8 or $8 and change for five. So they're only like a buck 50 each. Um, But the shipping was a little bit uh a little bit more so so depending on how many you get you could theoretically pay more for the shipping but you're going to get them in time for october uh, 14th Uh, we're going to put this episode out tomorrow so if you get this you really want them uh for that partial eclipse on the 14th then place your order and if you're uh yeah if you're placing that order and and uh buy the shipping then you'll get them in time yeah, you, you know, and one other note, um, not only will the accommodations dry up for uh, the total eclipse in April, but so will equipment. So if you do want to observe either the annular coming up or the uh, total eclipse, um, because that path of totality is like right through the central kind of US and some real uh, like high population areas, um, all sorts of filters and solar telescopes uh, become sold out as you get closer to that actual date. Yeah. So again, if you have dreams or desires to observe it, not only should you plan your, you know, your trip or your accommodations, but also make sure you have the equipment that you're going to need. Because if you wait much longer, you you might not be able to buy it very easily. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think I got to refresh my uh, solar filter for this one. I'm just going to get some of these solar safety glasses. Maybe uh, if you're around, you'll come out. Maybe Mike will come out on the morning of the 14th. It's uh, it's around uh, nine o'clock in the morning for us here um, to observe it. I got a bunch of these glasses in case neighbors and that are around and at least be, just be able to take a look at it. I've seen a few partials before. It's it's pretty cool to see. And then, uh, but for that one in, in April, yeah, I plan to uh, travel with my uh, Takahashi, so... Yeah, should be should be good. Nice. How about you? Any plans? Uh for the April or yes. Uh no plans yet. Um there's a good chance that I won't make any attempt to observe it actually. <laughs> uh if we go anywhere, I think it would be uh like maybe in that Montreal, sort of southern southern Ontario or southern Quebec area, and um, you know, cross our fingers, but um, we have a couple other trips planned around that time that are non-astronomical, so it's probably hard to fit a third in there. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I just got to figure out a way to get to Moncton. So like, like the chances of seeing it there, I think are low, mm-hmm. but my, my chances of having an inexpensive trip are very high. So. Well, you gotta, you gotta take that balance, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I just got to talk to Will and, uh, 
get him on board, but I think he should be. All right. Um, did you get any observing in this past week? Did you get yeah, try did. your Teleview equalizer? I did not. No, oh. <laughs> there wasn't really a point in, in putting it in the scope because I wasn't swapping between, you know, heavy and light eyepieces, but um, really it's just a two inch to inch and a quarter adapter that just happens to weigh a lot. So um, I'm sure it'll work fine, but mm -hmm. I was observing uh, some doubles on uh, Thursday night using the Takahashi 76 DCU. And I had the, uh, the 1.7 Q extender in it mm. and uh, Chris, you're going to, you know, I know you're sitting down, which is good because I'm going to shock you. Um, I mono viewed for the first time in Asia. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like kind of my ultimate grab and go for at home. It's taken me a little while to get there. I'm still using the Stellar View MC2 mount uh, with the Nexus digital setting circles, but the 76 millimeter tack is so light. And I put it on a carbon fiber tripod because the Burlaback one is fairly heavy and mm -hmm. it's just so easy to take in and out of the house. And my bino viewers don't work natively in that telescope. I need to use a Barlow. So instead of monkeying around with all of that, I just put my Leica Ashpheric zoom in there, which again, sort of, uh, complements the grab and go concept because it's really one eyepiece that gives you a pretty big functional range. Um, so yeah, I was in the backyard really, uh, just looking at uh, a bunch of doubles, um, all of them off the RASC double star list that uh, Blake Nancaro uh, curated uh, a little while ago. And I won't go through all of them. I, what, how many did I observe? One, two, three, four, five, five of them in total in Andromeda <laughs> and Cassiopeia. Um, but there was two in Cassiopeia that were really, really nice that I'll maybe just key on here. Um, both of these are the SAO designations. So the first one is uh, 21002. And, um, it was just one of those wow kind of doubles. Um, the, the double itself is in a pretty rich star field, but it really jumped out because the North star was a, a real deep red. In fact, at first I thought, I wonder, you know, if it's a carbon star, um, I don't believe it is after doing just a, a little bit of research after observing, uh, but the companion to it is kind of a, a like a bluish white and, mm -hmm. you know, with that deep red star and then that bluish white star really, really was quite pretty to look at. Mm. And then, uh, the second one up there in Cassiopeia is a uh, 10937. Um, this was the tightest pair that I observed the whole night. Um, although still very easy to split. Um, both of the stars were pretty similar magnitudes, but there was one star at that time that was oriented to the North and, um, it was a real deep orange, uh, whereas the companion was a, a kind of a lighter blue, but because the stars were so close to each other, the contrast of colors was more apparent. And, uh, those two were, were real fun. I, I enjoyed all of them, but those two were the highlights. Um, I had a quick look at Saturn. I, I was interested in the Enceladus challenge that one of our listeners wrote in about, but unfortunately mm -hmm. that night Enceladus was transiting the disc of Saturn. So there was no way I was going to see it and seeing wasn't too wonderful that night, but I was able to get Titan, no problem. Uh, and then Rhea and Dione were visible during, you know, those real brief microseconds of steady seeing. Um, and then the other highlight that night was the ISS was making a, a pass and I was able to hand track it and get three different views of it as it passed overhead. 
And uh, because it moves so fast and because hand tracking is, you know, not super accurate, I really couldn't get a real nice observation to, you know, see how much detail I could see visually. But again, no problem to see those two side compartments or panels with that central kind of capsule or whatever it is where, you know, I think the majority of those folks operate and live. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it was, I always enjoy seeing the space station and trying to get it in a telescope if I have one out. So nice. Yeah, it was a fun session. Um, how about you? Were you able to get out? Yeah, I got out a few times. I, I was uh, just casually observing Saturn and Jupiter on the uh, Thursday and, and Friday evenings. And then I think it was Saturday morning, I got up and I was surprised it was clear. So grabbed my binoculars and went out and just uh, was looking at like the Orion Nebula and uh, the belt of Orion and Lambda Orionis area and, you know, just some of the other open clusters that are around. But uh, yeah, Thursday night, the scene wasn't as good and I was using too much power. I was using like 180 power, I think, or something like that. And then on, uh, on Friday night, I dropped it down to around 120 and that was much better. I think the scene was quite a bit better on uh, Friday evening as well. And uh, it wasn't as clear. There was a little bit of haze in that, but it doesn't matter. Moon's up and just looking at planets. And then, uh, yeah, we could really see uh, quite a bit of detail on the disc of Saturn. We could see like the tonal differences uh, of the rings. We could see the the ring gap. We could see the shadow of the planet being uh, sort of projected onto the backside of the rings was uh, pretty cool. Um, we could see uh, banding on on the planet uh, Saturn, so that uh, that's something you can't always pick up. And and some of the other details, I think of the North uh, Polar region, and start to see some of that uh, that uh, structure from the big storm that's up there. So hmm. that was pretty good, just for 120 power. And then yeah, uh, that's really good. I, yeah. I was able to tease out some of the cloud bands on Thursday night, but that was it. A um, little bit limited by aperture, but uh, the seeing was just not that great for me. Yeah, yeah. Thursday wasn't nearly as good. And I was using the hundred millimeter Takahashi in both both instances. And on uh, Thursday, you know, we could we could see the bands, the the two uh, equatorial bands on Jupiter on on Thursday. And the odd time you get some hints of some other banding. But then on Friday, uh, you know, you could trace banding all the way down to the uh, to the polar regions again. Mm. Um, quite. Uh, quite a ton of detail. Yeah, I think like in total, I was looking at, um, I think I kind of like 16 or 18 features, some barges and that sort of thing. And I was just standing and just was set up sort of, uh, pretty sketchily on my deck, um, just for one reason or another. And, uh, yeah, it was just, just for convenience sake, really, because I didn't want to go and plunk the telescope down in the, in, in the lawn or on the road or whatever, just because, uh, I was just looking forward to just having a quick view, but, uh, yeah, those conditions are really good. I kind of almost even thought about moving the telescope, but yeah, I just decided to, to do it like that and have a little bit of fun, just poking around the sky a little bit too. Yeah, it was, it was really nice and very pleasant evenings. Wasn't, uh, very cold or anything. I did try to see, yeah, I did try to see a few other things, but yeah, with the moon being so bright, it's, uh, yeah, just, uh, not that great. Had a couple neighbors, walking up the road um and uh, i'd been telling um this uh, this neighbor about the observatory and uh, just like in passing and then he's been sort of eagerly sort of following along as, as he goes for walks with uh, with his kids and then he and one of his kids came up and i gave them a bit of a show of jupiter and, 
and Saturn. I think I think the father's more interested in it than the uh, the child was. So, but yeah, it was pretty yeah. fun just to do a little bit of random uh, public outreach, and yeah, should be should be fun once I get the observatory going. Because even already, like if if I'm up there just messing around with it, and I have the roof off. Like I've told people that, oh yeah, if you see the roof off, just come on up. But I'm not running any gear in there yet. But then people are just kind of wandering up if they see the roof open, which is pretty cool. So yeah, it should be should be a lot of fun once uh, once I get it running. Yeah, that's great. Sort of like a little bit of a landmark here now. And everybody walks by if they don't know what it is already. They're like, why does the roof come off your shed? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sort of seems like a thing you don't want. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes I I tell them it's renewed sunbathing, so I don't offend the neighbors. But uh, and and they don't know me well enough yet to know that's a joke. And you can see like the look on their face. It's it's (laughs) a lot of fun. Yeah. Good stuff. Oh, I'm going to Toronto. Speaking of trips. Oh, okay. Cool. I'm going to go out and see uh, our friend Randall Rosenfeld and uh, do some astronomy out there with him. And uh, yeah, see Rudy's Telescope Museum and the David Dunlop Observatory and do a bit of uh, a tour of the... uh, a, a bit of a walking tour, astronomy walking tour of of Toronto. Um, Going to meet up with some other friends too. I, I, it's only for a few days, so I don't have that much time. And uh, I think it's already pretty full up. So um, Tom Otvus, I've been chatting with. I think we're going to meet up and uh, and try to do a, a, at least one or two things. But yeah, um, so there's a, a telescope museum. It's not open to the public yet in... Um, in Toronto, and it was funded by Rudolf Dorner, who's um, a friend of mine who passed away a few years back. And his his uh, other friends um, were bequeathed uh, an, an amount or an ongoing stipend to actually run a telescope museum sort of with his name on it. And they've been uh, working towards that under the RESC uh, banner. So I'm not sure when it opens, but I'll get the lowdown next month. Maybe I'll even do some recordings while I'm there, but there's quite a bit of gear there. Um, Yeah, I don't know what I can say about it, though, to be honest. I feel like I know a fair bit about it because knowing uh, knowing these uh, these friends of mine that are involved and they're going to take me on this tour of it. But I don't know. I don't know what what the story is on whether I can say some of the stuff that I know that's there or not. But I think it's going to be an interesting attraction for people. But I'll get the lowdown and uh, maybe we can... uh, do something on that telescope museum in a further show. Yeah, I would love to hear more about it. It it really interests me a lot. I have a, a bit of a fascination with vintage telescopes, so I'm very curious what's there. Yeah, there's there's all sorts. Um, when I when I would go over to Rudy's house when he lived in uh, Kitchener, and I and I also lived in in, uh, in the area, uh, he had like a whole room, like a whole wing in his house just full of telescopes. And they were really interesting scopes uh, and binoculars, like the the califluorite binoculars, um, like those promenade ones. Um, we'd go observing with those. Um, uh, what are they called? The uh, Not the Schmidt-Newtonians, but the Maksudov-Newts or whatever they're called. It's, for some reason, the name is escaping me at the time. Mac-Newts. Um and then, um, yeah, it had a, had a variety of other instruments like the Takahashi um, FS128, which we uh, spent uh, several nights comparing to my Pentax 125SD, um, all kinds of different scopes. That's just sort of some of the highlights. And then uh, he actually gifted me um, a tripod and some other 
stuff and and books and that sort of thing before I left. Uh, really nice uh, person, anyway. And uh, anyway, so now people are donating their telescopes and other things to to the museum, so they're getting it set up and ready to uh, ready to roll. So, but Randall, who's helping run it, or is the director? Um, something fell and like squished his fingers. So I think it slowed down things a little bit. So, oh no, <laughs> yeah, a C14 counterweight. Mm, gee, yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, maybe we'll get on to what people can see in the night sky for the observer's calendar for October of 2023. How does that sound? Sounds perfect. Tonight, if it was clear, this doesn't go out until tomorrow, but it's not very clear anywhere. I was looking at the map, there's a couple spots that might be clear tonight, but. The moon and Jupiter are going to be really close together, only a few degrees apart in the night sky tonight. But but here, Shane, we're we're under rain, so mm-hmm. nothing for us to look at. But nothing for us. But tomorrow, when we release this um, October second, Moon and Pleiades, uh, the Moon is going to meet up with the Pleiades, and uh, that's one of the brightest dark clusters uh, in the Messier catalog, anyway, and if not the, the entire night sky. And it, that would make a nice binocular target. And if you don't know where the Pleiades is, uh, it'll be nice for you to have the moon point out exactly where the Pleiades is by simply just pointing your binoculars at the moon on the night of October 2nd. And then right beside it, you're going to see a bunch of stars. And of course, in subsequent nights, the moon will move away, but the Pleiades will stay in the same uh, location in, in respect to the other stars in the nighttime sky. So you can then know where the Pleiades is located. Yeah. Yeah. And take note of the size of the Pleiades versus the size of the moon. Um, kind of a neat, it's a neat little thing when those two pair up. Mm-hmm. Exactly. October 6th is the last quarter moon. And this is a great time to take a look at the Apennine mountains. I, th- mm. I think anyway, that's one of the things I'd like to look at at the last quarter. Yeah. The, the Apennines are absolutely beautiful. It's one of my favorite regions on the moon and uh definitely enjoy looking at it every time every chance that i can because there's just so much rich detail there mm-hmm. and they partially encircle mare imbrium mm-hmm. and then and then on the north north side of them you have the uh, crater plato and that's one of the most prominent uh, craters on the moon and it's right at the top of mare imbrium and then along the terminator which is the division between night and day on the moon we have lots of craters uh, right at the center of the moon. Some of those include like Herschel, Tomaeus, Alphonsus, uh, Zackel. Um, the straight wall is down there uh, towards the bottom as well. And then uh, Marinubium is uh, is on the bottom portion. But yeah, I didn't know if there was anything on the on the last quarter that was uh, of interest to you as well, Shane. Uh, no, that's a great list there, Chris. Um, but yeah, the Apennines are are what I would be looking at for sure. Yeah, I just kind of called up a, a chart and was was looking at it because I was like, there. Th- this is one of my favorite parts uh, of the moon, favorite times to to observe it. So, yeah, I'm hoping to get my little scope out that night and take a peek at some of this stuff. Yeah, awesome. October 10th, before sunrise, we have Venus, the moon, and Regulus. And uh, I did put a little um, bit of a chart here. I'm just trying to get it in the right spot in the notes. I don't know why it's... <laughs> all moved around but that's fine it's going to look like something in the morning of uh october 12th if you get up uh, pretty early i think i set this for about five or five thirty in the morning you're going to have very very bright venus which is uh just about at greatest elongation in the morning sky uh just above and to the left or to the north uh, east you're going to have regulus and then again just above and to the left or east you're going to have the moon 
to the northeast and uh yeah that that is going to be a really neat thing in in the show notes here i put uh, the constellation of leo which is where this is all taking place and and the way it's hanging around sort of that end of leo it almost is like a reflection of that uh, tail of leo sort of in in an odd way or, or something but i think that's going to be a really cool thing for people just to look at even with your eye mm-hmm. i don't think you need to uh, use optics or anything yeah yeah optics i don't think really well enhance that too much uh, the, the beauty is taking all of that in which is like a big part of the sky so for sure yeah. uh just just using your eyes would be you know i, I don't think you can beat it sorry if you hear me gasping a, a deer is uh eating my lawn about uh 30 feet in front of me and he's now staring at me sometimes they'll come up and stick their head and he's walking up there he comes now he's about 15 feet away from me and Nope. Just uh, moseying along. Eat the weeds. Don't eat the shrubs. All right. There's another one down below. But yeah, it's funny when the deer just come moseying along. Haven't seen them in a long time. And now they're back, of course. Usually they're uh, closer to my car when it's in motion. All right. (laughs) October 14th, we have this annular solar eclipse. I put this uh, in the show notes. Uh, The path runs along uh, from... Uh, Texas through uh, Oregon. And I think there's a spot down in Texas where you can watch this annular eclipse, which of course, as we mentioned at the start, is uh, is a ring of fire eclipse, meaning that you never can look at this eclipse without solar safety glasses or specialized solar filters um, because the moon is, uh, is not going to be large enough in the nighttime sky or in the daytime sky to actually um, cover up all of the disk of the sun. So you need to be aware that that is uh, that's what's happening there. Um, when I attended Alan Dyer's talk, he he identified the place. I can't remember where it is, but people can Google it. I'm sure if you go to amazingsky.net, um, Alan has a whole set of books on how to best observe and photograph these eclipses. I might as well spell his name right. I think I spelled his name horribly um, in this. Uh, anyway, uh, April 8th, 2024 is the total solar eclipse. And of course, with that one, you get a couple minutes of totality where you can look at the at the uh, moon covering up the sun and then see the uh, solar corona uh, safely, but only for, for a couple minutes. The rest of the time, again, you will need a solar uh, filter and you have to be, as, uh, as Shane noted, on the uh, totality path, uh, which runs from Atlantic Canada down through the uh, the country of Mexico. But yeah, for this one here in October, October uh, 14th um, in Saskatchewan, I think I, I read that the greatest portion of the partial eclipse occurs just after nine o'clock in the morning. It looks like uh, 50%-ish here um, mm-hmm. where, where I'm at anyway. If you went to the very, very uh, southwestern corner of our province down by the old man and his back site uh, that we've been to, Shane, uh, mm-hmm. you would get a 60% uh, partial eclipse. But in my opinion, not worth making the drive for a 10% difference in your partial eclipse experience, unless you're really into that sort of thing or want some sort of special photograph. Um, I'm going to wait maybe and try to take a look at the total eclipse uh, when it comes about in April. Yeah, kind of an interesting thing to to take note of that day if if you have clear skies and you know you're you're around for that partial eclipse um 
just see if you can, like without even looking at the sun, just going about in your day, uh, see if you can notice it being any dimmer out. Um, probably at 50%, I'm guessing nobody will even know it's really happening. No, you're right. By, by now, I mean you're right. You you won't notice it, I don't think. You'd have to be pretty observant. And then um, I I found that in the other partials that I've observed, it really needs to get to like 70%. And, and in, in those eclipses, in fact, you don't really notice that much of a dimming. But what you do notice is that I notice more so the heat uh, from the sun is lost. So you might start noticing... Um, less heat coming from the sun especially at october where if it is a nice clear sunny day maybe it's only 12 or 13 degrees you might actually notice that it that it drops a couple degrees and you might actually like with your hand held up but when you're looking at it you absolutely need to be wearing your solar safety glasses or have specialized solar filters you cannot look at it with your unaided eye or you will uh, very likely incur um, eye damage you know we don't want anybody doing that no for sure October 18th, Antares will be occulted by the moon for most of the European Union. Mm. So check your local times there. I tried to find out like specific times. Uh, I think maybe even the UK uh, gets some of this, but it was really, I don't know why it was, uh, why, why it was so difficult to find that. I thought, oh, I'll just Google it. I was Googling around. I just couldn't find it very easily but probably in your in your locales or if you're in britain probably sky at night or um if you're in uh, in the european union you probably have some other resources available to you or just run it in your astronomical software october 19th 20th we have a double shadow transit on jupiter this one uh, is, is looking like a pretty good one for us it occurs at 1 a.m our time which is 3 a.m. Eastern and uh, new uh, Patreon support renewer, Jim, sent us uh, some details on the event. Shane, do you want to, it's not very long, do you mind uh, taking a read of this? Yeah, for sure. He says, hi, Chris and Shane. I noticed an opportunity in October that may interest you and your listeners. I see that the shadow of both Io and Ganymede uh, should be visible on Jupiter from 557 to 741 Universal Time on Friday, October 20th. Um, Io will also be transiting Jupiter during most of this period. It will be especially well-placed here in the Pacific time zone from about 10 p.m. until 11.30 p.m. local time on Thursday, October 19th, when Jupiter will be up around 40 degrees. I'm hoping to observe it in my 115 millimeter refractor and capture an image if the seeing cooperates. Uh, thanks for your tribute to Blake Nancaro and all of his contributions. It inspires me to expand my targets to include double star observations, Jim. Thanks for the email, Jim. Uh, good to know about the events on Jupiter and definitely get into double stars. They're awesome. They're a lot of fun to observe. Yeah. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for the Patreon support as well. We always uh, appreciate it. The uh, double transit uh, lasts about an hour or so. And it'll be on the meridian for, for us anyway, here in Saskatchewan, which is on uh, Mountain Daylight Time, MDT. At that point, we are uh, looking at uh, meridian uh, transit of uh, 1.40 a.m. That's 3.40 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, this is worth getting up for. So I'm going to set my alarm, uh, set up the scope and get up on the morning of the, uh, you know, for us, it will be the, the very early morning of the 20th. And... Uh, 
you might need to watch for it. So if if it's just coming on to the limb for you and run it in your astronomy software, but if it's just coming on to the limb for you, it, it can be difficult to notice because the limb events of Jupiter are more difficult to see, more difficult to focus. So I uh, sort of put down the the sort of uh, midline point, at least for us anyway, is around that 1.40 a.m. mark. So for me, I'm not going to uh, get up and I'm not going to like do a timing of the transit or anything. Also, I want to see the planets uh, or the moons go in front of Jupiter. So I think that occurs later on. Mm-hmm. If people get up and they're observing that, once they're done observing that event, they should, if they're in a dark sky, say they should take a look for the uh, zodiacal light. Remember the zodiacal light uh, and the finding from a couple of years back? Yeah. Yeah. And we just talked about it on a recent episode. I can't remember if that was the September objects or what. I think but, it was. Uh, yeah. 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 And I think what's the story that it's, uh, it's part of the uh, atmosphere and material coming off of Mars and being swept back by the solar wind, mm-hmm. which is generating a lot of this uh, interplanetary dust in our own solar system. Of course, as it goes out into the uh, uh, area between the planets, the sun strikes it and then we have to be at a certain angle. This angle is coming up in the early morning hours again, and it forms like this uh, very tall, narrow pyramid in the ecliptic in our uh, morning sky. So if you look to the east, you're going to see Venus there, and uh, this pyramid of light will kind of be cutting through uh, Venus in the morning sky. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Speaking of Venus, on October 23rd in the morning sky, Venus will be at the greatest elongation west, 46 degrees from the sun. I've been taking a look at it. I was looking at it the other morning just with my uh, binoculars and it's very bright and it's an excellent time to observe Venus. It's getting very high in the morning sky. I'm not sure what time it rises, but it is uh, well visible uh, when you get up, uh, you know, a few hours uh, before sunrise and, and you can take a, take a look at it. It's going to be at about this half phase-ish um, which is one of the best times to observe Venus because we got a very large disk to look at. Even in the binoculars, you, you can see this massively brilliant disk. And there's some things to look for. One is the uh, Schroeder uh, effect. Not sure if you remember the Schroeder effect, Shane. No, I don't actually. Um, yeah, uh, it's escaping me. So the Schroeder has nothing to do with the Charlie Brown. Uh, I think there was, wasn't there Schroeder on Charlie Brown, but Anyway, so this is um, what happens at what's called uh, dichotomy or when the uh, the planet uh, Venus or Mercury, I guess, goes through dichotomy as well, is at um, a basically a, a nice right angle triangle with the sun and Earth. And this makes half of the planet appear illuminated for us. Now, what happens, though, is and that's going to occur uh, essentially on or about the 23rd. But um, you likely won't see Venus as totally half illuminated. It will appear either slightly more than half illuminated, or in my experience, slightly less than a half illuminated disk of Venus. And in my experience, what I end up seeing is those polar regions almost look like, like they have little polar caps that extend way out. And then as the Terminator comes in, it comes in a little bit further than the halfway point, And then it forms like this perfectly straight line cutting down, which is kind of like 
in a way like the opposite of what happens on our moon, where on our moon, you can get this like perfectly sort of half illuminated disc all the way um, from pole to pole. Uh, but it's a different effect on Venus. They, they're starting to get a handle on why it has something to do with the exact angle that we're on, as well as the um, various levels of the clouds and the reflectivity of the clouds and its effect on our eyes and uh, and other things of of that sort. But it definitely is something to take a look for. And people can Google uh, the shorter effect. And as well, if we're putting these notes up, I did put a couple links to uh, to some academic papers that if people are really interested, they can go read. Right on. Yeah, we'll definitely post this to our website, uh, actualastronomy.com. The other event to, or the other phenomena to try to take a look for this, this one is um, much more subtle in my experience anyway, is the business of the ashen light. I'm not sure if you remember what this is, is about or not. Uh, no, this is another one. I, I know I've never seen it. <laughs> okay. So what this ashen light is, is the, it's kind of like what earth shine is to the moon where when the, uh, when the moon is not full and it's just like a little crescent, you may see um, the unlit portion of the moon. You can still actually actually see that in the sky. Now with Venus, we can sometimes see something similar, which is the unlit portion of Venus, whereas it's only half illuminated, like with the moon, if it was half illuminated and you looked at it, even just with your unaided eye or binoculars or telescope, you would actually see that other portion. Well, Venus, uh, in my experience, it, this, it feels like a real thing to me, at least insofar that I feel like I can continue that circle around. And when I do a sketch of Venus, I will not draw a crescent. Typically, I will draw the full circle. And I, I think what's actually happening is that the light is just bouncing around in the clouds. You know, when we have sunset here it, on a really cloudy uh, day or a reasonably cloudy day when the sun goes down we can still see that light in the clouds everybody's seen you've seen this right Shane mm -hmm. you know? yep. yeah yep. And, and it just makes sense that something similar is happening on Venus uh maybe a little bit different because the clouds have a different composition they're uh these beautiful sulfuric acid clouds if you think that's beautiful I do um and and the light is just kind of re reflecting around a little bit different in the atmosphere allowing us to see um the circle now but maybe i'm wrong maybe it's just psychological and because we know it's round or we're used to looking at the moon when it's in these phases maybe our our minds are just projecting uh, a complete circle uh, but to me i really feel like it it seems much more than that it seems um about as easy as it is to see the moon uh earth shine um if you have some like thin haze or something uh going over you you definitely know it's there and you you can see it or sense it uh, it's the same sort of thing uh with venus pretty cool to take a look at yeah yeah that is very interesting a really simple thing if you want a really simple exercise because venus is in the morning sky and it's very far it's uh, almost 50 degrees away from the sun you want to do this when it's very far away from the sun you want to make sure you have a hill or a house or something in between you and where the sun is going to rise which is fairly easy to do uh you can actually continue to follow venus uh into the daytime sky that's that's one for mike because he was following um mm -hmm. venus in the daytime sky before the sunset back um when it was on the the other side of uh 
of the solar system here uh, back in the spring. Uh, this time you can watch Venus in the morning and then uh, like I said, put something between you and the sun. You don't want to be looking anywhere near the sun, of course, because of the risk of eye damage, but you want to watch uh, that Venus sort of continuing to climb into the blue sky. So you'll have a, a quite a few days to to do that. Yeah. Cool. Are you going to give it a try? Maybe. Yeah, we'll see. I, I've actually done that several times. So yeah, it's it's worth doing. And typically what I'm doing is not doing an unaided eye, but doing it uh, with the telescope. And I found that uh, what can happen is if you're observing Venus and you're able to detect some of the subtle cloud features, as you watch it come into the daytime sky and as that sky brightens, um, it causes changes in your eye, uh, which can improve the contrast for different features uh, that you're seeing on Venus. So some of the things that I look for are the facts, uh, the fact that the poles can appear brighter and that there can be uh, strands of darker material towards the uh, the middle of the planet or into the equatorial region, and then even extending um, from like the Terminator uh, across to the uh, you know to to the other side of the planet. So you can actually see uh, some of these subtle uh, cloud features, and I, I find they're always best just uh, at the point where either the sun has set or the sun is about to rise. So right at that kind of, that's sort of like the, there's like sort of like that magical hour, you know, they say for the photographers, like that magic hour here on earth, we have the same thing with Venus where there's sort of like a magical hour there where the contrast is just right. Everybody's a little bit different. So you can play around with that too, but that's telescopic stuff though. Yeah. Cool. Evening of the 23rd, Saturn gets within three degrees of the moon for some. But I think it's like Hawaii and, and Japan. I, I don't think we get to see them that close. Uh, we will in future months. Uh, October 28th, we have the full moon and a partial lunar eclipse, but not for us. Uh, favors the UK, EU, Africa, India, Asia, etc. And then also on the 28th, um, Jupiter will be three degrees south of the moon. Uh, and a couple of nights later, again, it will visit the uh, Pleiades. But these are not well placed for those of us in North America. So check your local uh, times or software and that'll help you out. Mm -hmm. No bright comets this month. Not that I could see. Did you note any bright comets uh, coming up? I couldn't find any. Yeah, nothing's really uh, out there right now that is gaining much interest because, yeah, it's pretty dim. There's a, a number of dimmer comets that you would require, uh, you know, a dark sky and a telescope, but certainly nothing that would be binocular or naked eye. Yeah, I think there's a couple that are like 9.9 .9 and 10.1 and one that might brighten to a I was like, no, this is. But um, the Skyhound Comet Chasing website has launched a YouTube channel. I think we mentioned that maybe in August or maybe the September episode. Yeah, that sounds right. And uh, so I had I had written uh, Greg, who runs it, and had said how much I enjoyed his site. We actually use it for the podcast. I, you know, cause I kind of wanted to make sure like he knew, like, you know, we do use that as one of our uh, references and uh, I sent him along a sketch of uh common Ishimura that I did. Mm -hmm. And he uh, made up uh, a YouTube video for the common Ishimura in September and <laughs> featured my sketch and my observation in that. So I thought that was oh, pretty neat. cool. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It was kind of neat. Really fun. Uh, so yeah, people should check out the uh, Skyhound Comet Chasing YouTube channel. I think it's just called Comet Chasing. Like 
it is just comet chasing on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube or even go to a uh, search engine type comet chasing YouTube, that's going to take you right to uh, that site. Right on. Yeah. Any double stars or anything? I think you talked about some double stars earlier on in your observations, but anything that you can recommend for people to look at? Yeah, maybe. Uh, so I mentioned those two uh, at the start. The other three that I looked at, I, I won't really get into uh, much of the detail, but they're in Andromeda. Um, the SAO designations would be 54032. Uh, pretty easy split. Uh, there's a big magnitude difference. Like I think one's magnitude four and the companion is around seven-ish. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's uh, a little bit of some color variations. These, the, the color variation here is a little bit more subtle. Um, the primary is white and the secondary has a little bit of blue in it. So, um, you know, it'll, it'll test your optics a little bit to see if you can pull out some of those, uh, color differences. Mm -hmm. uh, next one is five, five, one, zero, seven. Um, this is a very wide pair and, um, you know, I looked at it through my 76 millimeter, but I also grabbed my 12 by 36, uh, Canon stabilized binoculars and, uh, it's visible through those. So it's a binocular double, which not all are. So that's kind of a neat aspect of this one. And again, there's, uh, some really neat color variation here. Um, th there's a, the primary is, is an orange star. And then the other one is sort of a whitish blue star. And then uh, the last one is 55330. Uh, it's a tighter pair than the last two that I mentioned, um, but they're fairly similar magnitudes. Um, and again, you know, a little bit of color uh, within the system. One star is white, and then the other one has a, at least to my eye, I was picking up a little bit of blue. So there's a few doubles for people to hunt down and uh, like very, very modest apertures uh, will split this. You certainly don't need a, a monster of a telescope for these ones. I, I easily split them all with my 76 millimeter. Nice. Any uh, observing plans for the month of October, Shane? Well, I'm hoping we have good weather for uh, new moon coming up here. So mm -hmm. if we do, I'm going to venture down to my uncle's farm, which is uh, a fairly dark location. And he's had a desire to look through my telescopes and I've had a desire to just check out the night skies from that location. So mm -hmm. we'll see how things shape up, Chris, but, um, you know, outside of new moon, you know, if it's clear out in the evenings, I'll probably be out looking at some double stars in the backyard because this is again, my favorite time of the year. You can get out in the early evening. Uh, I can put the telescope away before bedtime and, you know, function quite well the next day at work. So um, nice. I, I want to observe as much as I possibly can. How about you? I'm going to look at, uh, Stefan's quintet in, in honor of all the furry friends I have around me, which, which are the deer. And that's otherwise known as the deer lick group because oh. my deer are back, which, which some people may think is great, which I do not think is so great because there's a lot. And last spring, when I started coming out here to observe, you know, when it was still cold before we opened our place up, there was uh, 18 deer on, on our little property here. This is not a big chunk of land. And to have 18 deer that like to hang out and wander around between myself and three or four neighbors' properties is, uh, it's a bit much to try to be observing when there's there's that many deer around. So, um, yeah, <laughs> well, I'm going to try to take a look at the deer look group. That's what I informally refer to all these deer as. 
uh, that like to wander around while we're here. I mean, it's the middle, it's noon, it's the middle of the day. It's not like it's at dawn or dusk or anything, or there's nobody around. Like I'm sitting here with the door open doing my recording. They can clearly hear me and the deer are wandering by within uh, 15 feet of where I'm sitting during this entire episode. It's, it's like being in a, a zoo, but for I'm the one inside the cage and they're just wandering around me. <laughs> oh, gee. Yeah. It's just constant, just constant deer. <laughs> it's just wild. Cool. All right. Well, with that, Shane, we'll let you go and uh, thank listeners for listening. Uh, please be sure to subscribe if you haven't already and share, share our show. Share this with uh, the friend, you know, Shane, I just do this for fun. And uh, we always enjoy getting your, uh, your observing notes, your show ideas and such to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.